Episode 283, Punisher, Season 1, Episode 3, Kandahar. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to another level of another level. Uh, I'm just going to keep it. <laughs> welcome to another le- episode of Welcome to Level 7. I'm Ben Ben Avery and I am not editing as much as I probably should. I'm also not alone because that is Agent <laughs> Samantha over there. Samantha, how you doing? Are you sure I'm not Agent Stu? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm off, but I'm not that off. So Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we are here to talk about another episode of Punisher as we are flip-flopping between the Runaways and the Punisher. And I'm also fairly certain that that's what we're supposed to be talking about, right? Punisher. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm I'm back on back on target. It's been a day. Uh, I just want to say that. I, I'm coming off of a 13-hour day of, of work, which there is a lot of interaction with human beings in that 13 hours, you know. And so as as an introvert, that's... That drains my strength. So I, I'm going to, I'm looking forward to sitting down with nothing and recharging myself in, in just a little bit here. But first, we got to talk about this episode of Punisher. So, yeah. How long ago did you watch this, Samantha? I'm not sure. Maybe a little under a year ago. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I watched this a little under a month ago. Okay. So. <laughs> And I think you're similar to Stuart, I think, um, where you're not all that interested or that excited about rewatching these episodes. Is that correct? I rewatched this episode today oh, and did? I remembered why I, re- I, I am not thrilled about okay. rewatching it. Yeah. <laughs> it's bloody towards the end of this episode. Very bloody and awful. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, we'll talk about the body count later, but the body count jumped way high. Yeah. So we'll, uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. First, we are going to listen to some phone calls, some phone uh, feedback from us as as the uh, hosts of the show of of Welcome to Level Seven. We have been sending in our immediate feedback to Netflix series uh, because we watched them a year ago. Or. <laughs> Or in my case, a month ago, um, actually not even a month ago for, for me, but I have, uh, recordings that we left behind from Daniel. I have one from you, Samantha. I have one from me and then one from Stuart, who's not here with us right now. And so we're going to play those, uh, and just get our immediate reactions to this episode, Kandahar, um, which also, uh, Kandahar could also have the subtitle of flashbacks and a naked guy tied to a chair. Cause... <laughs> That's pretty much what this episode was, was flashbacks and Micro not wearing any clothing. I felt really bad for him on the set. Oh, so this wasn't a stupid buddy comedy? (laughs) Also that. (laughs) Uh, This is where they meet cute and 
and decide that they're going to hit it off together and yeah, become the odd couple. So actually this is a really, they are yeah, the odd couple in, a, in, a, in really a sort of like government mean, spy yeah. way, a, a mean spirited, violent, odd couple. Yeah. <laughs> Although the odd couple could get mean spirited, but, but not too bad. Yeah. So, Okay, so we're going to play those uh, recordings right now from our voicemail, and then we're going to talk about this episode and um, talk about Kandahar and flashbacks and probably talk a little bit about Daredevil, too. Oh, Agent Daniel here. Just got done with Punisher, episode three, Kandahar. You know, man, this show is good. It is Good. I remember back in the day when I was watching Jessica Jones and like every episode was a four. It might be four point five and five to me. They're so good. And it really is about the character, which for the Punisher being such a love character in many ways, like how it just shoots stuff. This this is some complexity going on in my mind. I mean Frank is he had a checkered past. I mean, again, we didn't, we knew it's a serial killer, but he's got a checkered past when it comes to even things he did in the military and the things he questioned and he didn't question. And, and luckily we have Prince Caspi in there to uh, make sure to serve as a check. And really that's my worry is Prince Caspi. Um, I don't want to put him on death watch. Not a death watch. I'm going to call it in because I'm feeling so good about him. Um, I feel so good about some of the stuff he's doing, but again, he was even in the even in Kandahar, he really seems to think he's the one who questions what he should be doing, and hence may have saved himself from some trauma in the future, some psychological trauma, or did he? But it really makes me wonder when is he going to go bad? What what bad bad thing is coming for Prince Caspian? Because by golly, I like him. I like him, and I like Curtis. Curtis is on death watch. Um, but because I like him, something's going to happen, including death and evilness. So uh, I officially look at you, Prince Caspian, and your delightful character, and say you, my friend, are on villain watch. So, I just got done watching uh, episode three of season one of The Punisher, Kandahar. This is, a, this is a tough show to watch. It really, really is. It's not, not that it's bad. It's just physically tough to watch. I mean, these are, these are doing, he is do, he is interrogating Micro in a way that makes me, um, it makes it hard to watch. Makes my cringe. Makes me cringe. Um, I am tense, as they say, but not because I am tense because it is tenseful. Although it is suspenseful, I am tense because I don't want to be in that position. I don't want to be doing those bad things. Also, I really appreciate how they are um, really tying it into Afghanistan and what's going on in our current military political situation where you basically have um, hired guns who go out and do bidding rather than people um, thinking for themselves. And I, know, and I know that you can get into a whole bunch of conversations about orders and whatnot, and, and I'm sure that we have talked about that um, in the 
future or the past or however we're doing that. I don't think it's the past. I don't think we got a Klingon warbird and slingshot around the sun, but who knows? Um, so it's, it's, that's really interesting given the current light of our political and military, um, issues. <sighs> yeah. This is a, this is a rough one. Usually I'm done. I'm pretty much done before the next one comes out, but I don't know that I'll be done before Jessica Jones drops. It'll be hard to watch. We'll see. All right. Peace out. Bye. Hi, it's Agent Samantha. I just finished up uh, Punisher Season 1, Episode 4, Kandahar. So we finally got to see the mission where um, that Frank's commanding officer described at Frank's trial about pulling out of the mission, and they're trying to call in for um, air support, and Frank goes in and clears out all the bad guys, or all the enemy. so that the helicopter can land safely and pull them out. Um, and obviously there was something fishy going on here. And I keep thinking about an earlier scene in this episode where Curtis, uh, the guy from the group with uh, that's missing the leg that knows that Frank is still alive, he says something to Russo. He calls Russo a man of wealth and taste. Now, if you're a Rolling Stones fan, um, you know the song Sympathy for the Devil. And there's a line in that song that says, um, I am a man of wealth and taste. Are they foreshadowing that Russo is a bad guy or or are they trying to manipulate the audience into thinking that he's a bad guy? We shall see. But think about that. Bye. All right. Three episodes in Kandahar, and uh, we finally see where are we going with all of this. Uh, We see a mission. We see motivation. We see possibly a new enemy with Agent Orange. We see uh, Micro convincing him to team up. Don't know what's going on with Russo, um, but, you know, Samantha seems to think he's a bad guy, so maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But we've got all this stuff going on. Finally, it's all kind of coming together, even as we took some pieces off the table with Wolf and with uh, all the people from Daredevil Season 2. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to see forward momentum here. Uh, now, as far as the body count goes, this was really hard. And so maybe between now and when I actually record the episode, I might change this. But body count, we've got 20 from just this episode. Um, and that's from from that mission. And then there's the plus one of the guy on the film that I hadn't counted yet because I wasn't sure if it was Frank or not. But it seems, it really seems that that is Frank. Um, not going to count the dream one from uh, when he shoots his wife in his dream. But... Yeah, this, uh, you know, this is strong, strong filmmaking. Um, you know, the flashback stuff is good. The flashbacks for uh, Micro is really good when he's trying to decide what he's going to do. All his family's all around him. 
Um, and it's basically his family is the one thing that's holding him back from doing what he thinks is right. Um, yeah. It, so I mean, there's, there's stuff moving and happening now. It takes three episodes to get there. And you know, when you binge watch something, that might be okay. Um, I do wish we'd known some of the stuff in the first episode. I've been, I've been good. But anyway, that is Kandahar. Punisher, season one, episode three. All right, so that was our immediate reactions. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to make the joke about how we sounded so young and, and all that stuff. I'm just going to reference the joke but not make the joke. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm too old and tired to do that right now. It's getting starting to get it's it's beyond the point of being passe at this, at this yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's interesting is, you know, because we're using that format, I'm I'm calling in and then it's just like just moments later I'm I'm recording about it, but um but for you it, it is interesting cuz it is almost whatever a year ago, but Yeah, so let's talk about this. I things are actually happening. That's what I was excited about in this episode is that I feel like we actually start to feel what the stakes are and, and where we're going with, with this series even. Um, and I, I liked it. I, did you like this episode? I mean, you, there's the violence at the end. There's the violence at the end, but before all of that, yes, I liked it. Uh, cause it's kind of a cat and mouse kind of thing, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Tom and Jerry, you know, it, just yeah. mean spirited and, and uh violent tom and jerry although tom and jerry no they're that's pretty violent um it's yeah. almost as violent as real tom and jerry i guess but tom yes. and jerry was less bloody well yeah i mean there's lots yeah. of axes and knives and stuff like that but no blood and yeah you know a bullet would actually shoot a hole clean through you that did not have any bleeding <laughs> um but that's a story for another podcast the welcome to Tom and Jerry's mouse hole. But no, we're going to talk about Punisher right now. Frank is interrogating Micro and an alarm starts to go off. And so Micro says they're going to get blown up. Frank thinks he's bluffing, especially when he starts to give in and sees a gun. Um, but Micro puts in the code and continues to try to get Frank to listen, um, even though he doesn't really say anything. Uh, Frank is torturing him and he's trying to get micro to talk and so Mike, micro actually does start talking about his time in the nsa where he's trying to get information and look for actionable intelligence which yielded nothing until he got something interesting and this is where we get a flashback and so there's a lot of flashbacks in this episode uh this is just kind of going back and forth between frank and micro who is tied naked to an office chair and and then flashbacks to what's micro's backstory and what is frank's backstory so the flashback takes us to find out that micro's wife didn't want him to reveal this information that he found this information about this murder in kandahar but he was afraid they would bury it and he tries to convince her and she tells him just do what you think you should do so he sends the video of the guy getting killed to dinah and then later, he's driving with his family, and he sees armed men coming to his car. And so he leaves his family, runs away. It's Wolf, who, as other people are approaching, he lies and says he's got a weapon, and then shoots Micro in front of Sarah, 
his wife. Then they planted evidence and made him look like a criminal. That's Micro's backstory. Uh, what do you think about Micro's backstory here? Because this is this is everything for him. Like this is everything as far as why he's doing what he's doing, and why his his wife thinks he's dead. Which I had wondered: Does his wife really think he's dead? I I think that she does. She knows he's he's dead. I don't think she has a, a an idea that he's alive. Well. When they were discussing uh, the video or the information he had on the disc, um, the way she talked about um, how dangerous that information was and about going around the chain of command, it sounded a bit like military or government spook talk. Like she has her own personal, personal experience in that field and not just the wife of somebody who works for for the NSA. So I'm wondering if she has anything to do with it. Oh, you mean like she's involved with his death with or that she's helping with the cover up that he's not dead? That she has, I don't know, some sort of government experience, whether it's military or uh, working for um, one of the agencies. Oh, like FBI. Yeah. I don't know. I, have they talked about what she does? They have not. Okay. All right. Uh, I just think this whole flashback here, first of all, we needed it. We needed to see it all. Yeah. Um, not just be told about it. We needed to see what happened. And uh, so I'm glad they did that. But there's just some really good filmmaking going on here, <clears throat> especially the part where he's like thinking in his house and sitting there and just thinking through like, should I do the right thing or should I not do the right thing? And there's – He's sitting there and there's juice and cookies on the counter, you know, and his kids are just there living, living life. And um, when he sends the file, this was kind of cool, too. He sends the file, closes the window on his computer and his his uh, the backdrop on it or whatever you call the <laughs> the picture. Wallpaper? Yeah, the wallpaper on his computer is a picture of his family. You know, I mean, there's there's just a whole lot being said there without saying anything. Now, it's not necessarily new information. We know he loves his family, you know, but he is deciding, am I doing this or not? And as he's deciding this, we have just all these reminders of his family and what he is potentially going to lose. And it's foreshadowing in another setting. You know, if this was the first episode and this is the first time we see Micro, it'd be foreshadowing. Instead, it's tragedy. Because we see and we know something they don't know and we know it is not going to go well. And so I just really – I don't know. This scene, I, I it really did it for me. Like it really worked for me. And it, I I could see if I maybe was in a different mood. I could see myself thinking as this is cliche <laughs> or, you know, ah, this is just – yeah, we, we, they already told us all this. We didn't even know this. But – the mood I was in then, as I'm talking about now, the mood I'm in now, uh, it definitely felt really like just some strong, strong filmmaking where, yes, there's dialogue helping tell the story, but there's a whole lot of visual show don't tell as well. Yeah, yeah. I, in, in comparison to his, I don't know, lair where he's living now. <laughs> you mean, yeah. They did a really good job of creating a very uh, typical suburban home 
you know, upper level, upper middle class home. Uh, but his lair, while awesome, <laughs> not very homey. <laughs> He's living in a Faraday cage. It's, but aren't we all, metaphorically <laughs> speaking, aren't we all just living in a Faraday cage? Maybe. <laughs> but there's practicality of living in a Faraday cage in his situation. Yeah. It's cool. It's a great lair. I would love to work there occasionally but not live there i would love to be there in the middle of a, of a uh, thunderstorm because <laughs> i know i would not get hit <laughs> yeah so this is this this is the episode though that brings these two together and so we get his flashback and now we're gonna continue with the torture uh the, and the torture the philosophy of torture is that torture is not pain it's time and that you can adjust to pain as long as there's routine and that routine, as long as you're expecting, 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 you can live with it. Um, but that whole routine thing we're going to get back to. So we're going to put a pin in the word routine right now. But um, the torture continues. Frank makes himself at home and he is convinced that Micro is working with someone and that someone is coming. And Micro keeps trying to tell Frank, I'm the only friend you have. I'm the only friend you have. And Frank, he, he's he's paranoid. And he actually, in some ways, comes off in this episode as, I don't want to say not too smart, but we're watching this and we know Micro is not wrong. Like, Frank needs Micro. Micro needs Frank. They need each other. Yeah, we know that. Um, and I feel that's actually kind of clear from this episode, even before things settle down towards the end. But that's interesting that he wasn't being smart in this episode, but in the previous episode with that interrogation of uh, Wolf. Yeah, yeah. There he was being smart. So I, that's maybe one weakness here is that is, is Frank in character? in the way he's doing things. I, I think in the way he's doing things, he's in character, but I think some of the things he's doing, he didn't need to do if he had been in character. Um, if that makes any sense, but yeah. we flash back now to the unit that Frank was on. It's a handpicked team, the best from all branches of military. And um, it's they're They're about to go on a mission. that's called operation Cerberus. And they're the dogs of war. And they're supposed to go after important targets. Um, and so that's – we just get some backstory there. Uh, then we come back to the present day and Micro reveals that there aren't any explosives. So the code he's been putting in to keep the explosives from going off is not actually stopping any explosives. There are none. Frank has realized this. Frank has seen this. But the problem is – Instead of explosives, he has cameras, and these cameras are going to send images to all media outlets. And why is that bad? Because everyone in the world thinks Frank is dead, and he wants it that way. He likes it that way right now. And so basically, if Micro doesn't put in the code, Frank is out. This is, this is ingenious. This is smart. 
the I think micro here does really have the upper hand with what he's doing, even worse than if it had been explosives. Well, it puts them both at risk because micro is supposed to be dead, too. Yeah, but basically, if micro really gets dead, <laughs> the cameras will send the images out. And, yeah, they'll know that micro is alive. Oh, I, true. I, I guess he could be unconscious. And the, then the same thing can happen, but it really is. It's his, it's his lifeline. It's how he is going to stay alive here um, is because if he dies, um, then Frank gets outed. Not only as he's not only outed as he's alive, he's outed as he is a killer. He has killed micro. So yeah. it's, it's smart. It's, it's a smart trap that Frank has found himself in that, Micro didn't do because he knew Frank was coming. Micro did because Frank might come. <laughs> well, the the public al- already believes that Frank is a killer. Right, but the, that exact murder would just be out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they, w- they would actually see him. Well, more or less. Uh, they might not actually see it if it happened a little bit off camera, but yeah. And then Micro confronts Frank about Ahmad, the man that they killed. And so we flash back to the killing. And this is this is hard. Uh, I think to me, this is worse than the scene at the end. Because the guy is just trying to convince them he's a good man. He's a good man. I'm a good man. Um, And Frank is given the order to kill him. And so he does it. He shoots the guy, then gets the the bullet from the body as they bury him. And it's... You know, they're they're just following orders. You know, they're they're following orders. They were told this guy's a bad guy. You need to kill him, and you need to do this and this and this. And yeah, this is I, this was hard. This was yeah. hard. And it's that whole I was just following orders. It's that whole you know, evil prevails when good men do nothing. You know, because nobody did anything to stop it. And what would have happened if they did, you know? And so it's a rough scene. It's a really rough scene. Yeah. And it's also one of the failures that I I don't want to say the military is bad, but what can't like one place where, where the chain of command can fail the whole group is when something like this possibly could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the reason they're able to do this is because they have made the – they have presented what their mission is in such a way to make it feel and sound like it's official. Yeah. And we're going to find out later it's less than official, you know. Um, And that's what's hard, you know, because if you're a believer in what you're doing and the orders are given to you by someone that you trust – and you are told, I mean, okay, so this is the worst possible example of this, where you're told this man is a bad man who, if he is not killed, he's going to hurt more people. And so you need to pull the trigger. And thank God I'm never, ever going to be in that position. you know. And uh, But at the same time, you can kind of see the moral quandary that's there. A man that I trust and have pledged, you know, to, to – protect him and his life and he's pledged to protect me and my life and he has asked me to do 
this thing, which maybe I shouldn't do, but the information that I was given says it's something I should do. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting moral quandary. And this is one of those situations where fiction allows us to explore moral situations and emotional situations that we are probably never, ever going to have to face in our real life. But there are situations in our real life that kind of mirror that where we're asked to do something that maybe we shouldn't do, you know, maybe not murdering, but, but lying, you know, or something like that yeah. where, uh, and, and what would you do based on the information? But yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing where we can explore what would you do and, and in a safe place. Um, but Punisher takes it a little bit further with some of the, the gore and, and the extremism of the violence. But on the other hand, I mean, as far as the violence goes, I mean, there's the quandary with PG-13 violence versus the R-rated violence. The R-rated violence is the reality of that violence, of what we see in the after effects, the blood and the gore and such. The PG-13 stuff, that's a little bit more dangerous because it's it's fantasizing something that is deadly. Uh, yeah. Or potentially yeah. deadly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and... And it's not just the the R versus the PG thirteen. It's also in in style. So you know how you have a uh, you have Daredevil and some other things where it's choreographed violence. You know, yes. and um, I'll even like uh, episode one. I remember watching the the training videos and how they choreographed so um, so precisely the lightsaber battles that they were doing. This is also choreographed, but it's choreographed to look like it's just that brutal brutish um fight grit yeah uh, you know so the, the the violence at the end of this episode where you see him you know going through all of the, the enemy soldiers he's he's doing it in such a way that's made to look just like he is uh he's out of control he is it's not choreographed it's not a ballet of violence at all it is it's meant to sicken you, I think, a little bit. And yeah. and it does the job. So, um, okay, so let's talk about routine then, because this is where Micro has gotten the upper hand with the pictures. It's not explosives, it's pictures. But then he goes to type the code and he hangs on to the pen he's been using. So he's been picking up a pen every time he puts in the code. And he's actually been using the pen to help him type in the code. And it turns out that that pen is actually has a drug in it that he uses to knock Frank out. And so this is where that routine just over and over and over again, he was doing the same thing, same thing, same thing to the point where um, the pen was not noticeable. It was invisible to Frank. It was just, it was there, It was, but it was just a part of the routine. And so, boom, and Frank wakes up with his gun. So not only does Micro get the upper hand, he's also trying to get some trust. So I found on IMDb the trivia, uh, what David was, or Micro was uh, typing in as, as his password. Um, it's Zach and Leo and the, the letter a in the word and is the at sign. 
Zach and Leo. His kids' names. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And if you, it, it's all one word, so there's no spaces. Um, capital Z, capital capital L. Um, and if you go back and watch it, yes, he that's exactly what he's typing in. Yeah, and and he's he's using the pen mm-hmm. the same way. It, you know, it's almost like he's using the pen. Um, like this Casual. is just how you type. This is how I type when I am chained to a chair with one hand <laughs> and my other hand. I, so I'm, I'm doing it all left handed or whatever, you know, and so I, I'm using this pen to help me reach the, the caps lock or whatever it is. But I, I, this was a great moment for me. I'm just thinking, yeah. oh, this is, this is good. This is that back and forth and back and forth. And I just, now the gun is with Frank still. He he has been drugged, but he wakes up with the gun. Will he finally trust Micro? <laughs> and we're going to find Actually, out. I want to go back to the routine thing. Yeah. So I was thinking in my head, comparing this episode to the previous episode. Last episode, Frank changes his routine to evade Micro. This episode, Micro uses routine to capture Frank. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's actually, that's not what I was looking at, but I was looking at something similar, which is the torture that Frank is using with micro is to not allow a routine. And so, yeah, yeah, Frank's whole way of doing things, his whole method is chaotic and, you know, not allowing someone to fall into routine so they can follow you. Like you just said, that's really a good point or allowing, um, micro to get in a routine of pain that would allow him to be able to suffer through and get through. And, but yeah, micro uses routine to get, you know, to really it's to, to let down your guard because you've seen this happen so many times and nothing bad has happened yet. And so now he does it and something bad does happen, which ends up being good, but well, bad in quotation marks. yeah. 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 So the flashback here was Frank gets a birthday card from his wife and has Springsteen tickets in it. And then they start talking about their new mission and it looks like a trap. And you have this guy who's the guy in charge. His name is Agent Orange and he will not listen. And so Frank, of course, is right. It's the mission from the trial. (laughs) And um, he goes and he kills and he violently lashes out on the dead as He's doing this because this was a waste of life. No one should have died here because no one should have even gone there. And he knows this. And Agent Orange didn't listen. And so when it's all done, Agent Orange arrives and asks, did they kill the target? And he actually attacks Agent Orange. And this is where Russell's like, let's get out of here. <laughs> Got to get away from this guy. Um, and so we come back to the from that flashback into the present. And it sounds like. Frank's telling the story to Micro. This Micro earned the trust. And and Frank's t- telling him the story. And Micro says, you need me as bad as I need you. And and Frank's like, okay, you know. Uh, and and Micro then talks to him about Operation Service that was off the books. And this is where we find out that all the official stuff that they were doing with Operation Cerberus was not official. And And so Frank... This is the agreement. He will join with Micro if they all die. <laughs> no trials. 
they just all die. And, and Micro's willing to do that, willing to help. He's going to be the man in the chair. Uh, and yeah. probably a better one <laughs> than whatever his name was from Homecoming. What was his name? Oh, I feel bad. I can't remember now. Yeah. Well, anyway, guy in the chair. That's Micro. Yeah. And so now we're at the end of the episode and we're ready for the sitcom to begin now that the pilot episode is out of the way and our two main characters have been brought together. Uh, sitcom. <laughs> did you yeah. ever, did you watch The Odd Couple at all? I've seen the play. Oh, okay. Um, I, I may have seen episodes of The Odd Couple as a kid because my mom really loved Nick and, Nick at Night. Okay. Um, <laughs> see, that makes me feel a little bit old because I was watching it as reruns, but like reruns not too long after it was on the air. Um, I don't think I was old enough to watch it on the air when it was, you know, in prime time, but it was, this was, uh, Monday afternoon on my, my regular TV. We didn't have cable ever. And so, but yeah, I remember Monday afternoon, Friday, Tuesday afternoon after school, Spider-Man the cartoon, Flintstones, Odd Couple. Well, I've also seen a lot of stuff as reruns as a kid, too, because we didn't have cable for a very, very long time either. And so what do you watch? You watch a lot of I Love Lucy, I Dream of Jeannie, Brady Bunch. I mean, yeah. The cheap cheap reruns, the, the cheap syndication shows that are just all out there all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different landscape for television now, though. So. Yeah, now it's Friends and Big Bang Theory. <laughs> That's true. Both things I don't watch. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that's Micro and Frank. Anything else with Micro and Frank to talk about here? I guess looking through my notes. Um, mm. Here's here's the philosophy of torture. People think torture is pain. It's not pain. It's time. It's time to slowly realize that your life. It's over. It's over. <laughs> now all you got is the nightmare. Yeah, but getting used to that pain is torture itself, believe me. Getting I there. live with chronic pain. That's, yeah, it's not easy to adjust to. What'd you think about how he didn't die <laughs> when they shot him, when uh, Wolf shot him, and it shot the cell phone in his shirt pocket? Oh, he was lucky. <laughs> There's there's actually something that happened like that, um, that the, and this is a true story where a, a guy, he got kind of famous after this, but um, he was shot and the bullet was stopped by his Bible. Um, and then uh, there was a show called The Gary Shandling Show. Uh, it starred a guy named Gary Shandling, and they did a thing once where I can't remember what it was. It was in his, his shirt pocket. If this was the one where he had like the um, the audio Bible or something like that, so it's like ta- the Bible on tape was in his shirt pocket, and and that saved him. Uh, <laughs> or if it was something else, because I've seen one where they it was just ridiculous because he pulls out like, this big chunky because the Bible on tape is going to be like sixteen tapes because it's long, you know? <laughs> and and he was saved by that. But I, I can't remember if it was that for Gary Shanley or if it was something else where they were kind of making fun of that that idea of. The, the Bible in in the shirt pocket or whatever, but here, I mean, they're playing it straight. Cell phone saved my life. <laughs> and yeah. Oh well, man. That has happened before because, um, 
I didn't know this because my step-grandfather didn't talk about his service in the, in the Second World War a lot, but he was actually shot and he was saved by his government-issued Bible that he had in his pocket. Really? Yeah, and I didn't I never heard the story and I did not see the Bible until his funeral and then somebody brought the Bible and there was a bullet hole in it. That's wild. Yeah. That it happened. <laughs> Honestly, it's wild that it happened twice. First of all, second of all, it happened to someone that I know or someone that knows someone that I know. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? But yeah. that's, that's wild. But it also makes sense that if you have a guy who's a really good shot and he's aiming for the heart, I keep my cell phone in my shirt pocket. And so someone was shooting at my heart. There's a good chance if they're a good shot that they're going to hit my cell phone. So hmm. it's possible. It's it's wild though. Uh, it's a shame too many women. There aren't enough women's shirts that have pockets <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess here we could also talk about the body count because I I try to keep track, but I think we're at, and I'm only keeping track of, of Frank's kills. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're at 21 right now. With, including this episode with this episode yeah okay um and that includes uh now ahmad uh, i'm officially putting ahmad in as a as a kill from frank because i i wasn't okay. sure about that last episode so yeah oh and then his dreams his this dreams? was rough too he's dreaming that he's the one killing his wife yeah like that's yeah i, th- I think this is the worst version i've seen because i still haven't finished the series <coughs> um so far this is the worst version of that dream i've seen yeah 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 definitely uh okay so let's talk about dinah and sam then they are investigating and the new york police department and the fbi want in on the action but they won't have that and so dinah has a conversation with her mom and that Basically, it comes out that she doesn't trust anyone because others will let me down and I'm the best. Um, And so there's uh, Sam helps, but she's not trusting him. She's using him. And I think there's a big difference there. Like she's still doing things to get things done. But they pull Wolf's Wolf's records and they find six offshore accounts with $30 million dollars. but Dinah is just going to have to, I think, in some ways, just get over herself. You know, she is where she is because she's really good at what she does. But that doesn't excuse her from allowing anyone else to also help. I mean, come on. You know, yeah. Sam wants you to trust him. And it seems trustworthy as well. So that's. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> he seems we have trustworthy. bad guys on the show. We need some good guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the good guys are technically bad guys. So. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, I, yeah, I really, oh man, if they have a turn for Sam, I'm, <laughs> that's, that's not where I hope they go. Not mm. where I hope they go. I also find it interesting that Dinah's mother is a regular in this. And, and I guess it makes sense. I mean, they, they're allowing almost everyone on this show to have that sounding board. You know, you have uh, Micro and his wife and you have um, Frank and Micro and 
Dinah has someone who's not part of work that she can talk to and with, with her mother, but it's a really interesting dynamic and, and not the usual one that you would expect when you see a well, procedural show or something like that. Usually the person they're trusting and talking to is, is a coworker or, or a significant other. So spouse or, um, you know, dating relationship or whatever, but it's mom. Well, but it makes me worry that mom, yeah, is mom on death watch. Yeah. Please don't. Cause I, I like this actress, <laughs> everything she's in. I like her. Um, cause she usually really plays this kind of like cool foreign, but you know, you can trust her just by looking at her kind of character. Yeah, but I could also see her becoming part of that refrigerator trope, you know, yeah. where we kill her off to give Dinah. Although Dinah already had a refrigerator th- situation happen where they killed off a mod. That's what set this whole thing off is that she's lost uh, that person as a friend and colleague. So, yeah, she already has that. So maybe that is one reason why we can trust that her mother's not going to get killed is because we already have the death in Dinah's story. That's going to push her to uh, work hard and, and go after the, the bad guys. Well, fingers are crossed. (laughs) Then there's also Kurt and Russo. Uh, Uh, Russo brings Kurt a check uh, to Kurt's where Kurt does his, uh, his therapy group and Russo feels bad that he doesn't have the same problems as the guys he's helping with his money. So those guys have problems with PTSD and that sort of thing. And Russo doesn't have that. And he feels bad about that. And, and Kurt also doesn't have that as much. He, we get a bit of his backstory. He says, we got to take control. And he says that someone saved his life and he wanted to honor the person who saved his life, honor that gift by doing what he's doing. And doing something with his life and making something with his life. And that's that's honorable. I, I like that. Um, meanwhile, the right-wing NRA guy <laughs> gives some literature to um, to a young guy. And we're going to talk about the young guy in a moment here. Uh, Kurt and Russo visit uh, Frank's graveside. And they talk about how they saw him. They both saw him lose himself. And Kurt almost reveals to Russo <laughs> that Frank is alive. I, I can't remember how he said it. I didn't write it in my notes, but he, he it's a grammar thing. You know, he says, yeah, oh. he, he said, he, he said so, something about um, something that Frank said about being in Operation Cerberus or whatever, or in Kandahar. And, and Chris like, well, how, when, when did he tell you about this? And, and then, and then um, Kurt has to, oh, well, uh, you know, on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see him, uh, but uh, we talked on the phone while he was out there. I think he also used a present tense of a verb right. instead of a past tense. Exactly. Yeah. And that yeah. that was the – yeah. So <laughs> you got to watch your words when you keep it secrets. Yeah. <laughs> so then there's the young guy. And the young guy is struggling. And I didn't write down his name because I didn't know if he was going to be important. Um, I do I know am. that now. But um, he <laughs> – uh, is in his room downstairs. His father comes down and he shoots at his father. Um, 
as he's dealing with with some of the emotional things and and he misses and that's good but it was it's kind of a scary moment a very tense moment so some other things i have in my notes i've got russo good guy question mark slicked back hair <laughs> question mark um but we both mentioned Russo in our voicemails. For me, it was because I've had conversations with you about him and his slick back hair and that you thought he might be a bad guy. And for you, Rolling Stones. Yes, I go for the rock and roll angle. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I missed that quote, the the man of wealth and taste line. I didn't even didn't even cross my mind. And then I'm listening to your voicemail and you mentioned wealth and taste. I'm like, oh, wait. And then you, Rolling Stones. The uh, sympathy for the sympathy devil. Sympathy for the yeah. devil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have changed my mind based solely on what you said about the 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 line "sympathy for the devil." Um, that is that is enough for me. I have put Russo on the bad guy, uh, bad guy watch, and I don't and, mind and- if he turns. Sam, don't turn. No, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the character, Sam. Oh. Um, but I don't mind if Russo does a turn. And that's good foreshadowing or, or yeah, if if that's what they're doing. Yeah. And if you notice in that scene where that reference is made, there's a crucifix hanging over Russo's shoulder. So, I mean, there's the, the God. The religious imagery, yeah. The relig- yeah. Yeah. And then there's a reference to the devil. Now, I did notice that. Uh, and, and that for me at that point, it was like, well, okay, so does he see himself as some form of Messiah, as some form of savior? Is that why that's there? Or is that meant to allow us to think he might be some form of Messiah or some form of savior? And then of course he has slick back hair. And, and so I'm thinking, okay, so maybe this actually is, you know, um, ironic, uh, foreshadowing where that that's over his shoulder and it's because he's the opposite of of what that symbolizes and then you you the rolling stones is what did it for me so samantha i just i i had not thought about that that was that was a good catch that's a great catch um during that conversation russo admits that he felt guilty about getting out too early and then later we see where he makes that decision to get out. Following that whole incident, I don't blame him at all for wanting to get no, out. Oh, no, not at all. Get out too early. No, no. But the question now is, okay, if he is a quote unquote bad guy, and I'm not sure what kind of bad guy they would make him into if he's the kind who thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's actually doing something really awful. Or, or if he really is going to, I don't know, but he could be just talking the talk. He could be saying, yeah, I feel guilty that I got out early, you know, or I got out because, you know, he, he could be, because this is the other thing is, you know, he's, he's coming in and saying, I feel guilty because I don't have the same problems as these guys that I'm helping with my money. And at the same time, he's trying to recruit Curtis. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so I, I don't know. We, what's really interesting about Russo is that 
okay, I do know he's going to turn bad one way or another. I just don't know how. I don't know what's going to take us there and when we're going to, what we're going to find out. But the other thing is Kurt also feels he got out of time. He lost his leg, but he got out before he lost anything else. And the person who saved his life, he wants to honor that person and their sacrifice by doing, you know, by, by living his life. You know, even though he's, he's lost a leg, he's going to live his life, the life he was given. And I like Kurt, man. He's, he's, he's a cool guy. I, I'm not going to put him on death watch cause I don't think they would do that, but it's Punisher. Well, so maybe they would. <laughs> for Luke Cage, I didn't think that they were going to put episode one at first. I thought they wouldn't put, uh, I wouldn't have to put pops on the death watch. Oh my goodness. And then they killed him off first episode. Yeah, and that was just shocking. Yeah. <laughs> that was just shocking. But um and then talk that, about refrigerating somebody. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. But then you have the uh that whole scene where you see what happened that caused Russo to like I'm out of here. I'm I'm done with this. Um that whole scene is actually then we get to see what we already heard. So we've heard this story before when Schoonover was uh, testifying at the trial in, in daredevil season two and seeing it, it's much more horrific than I was, <laughs> than I was imagining. This is one of those times where a lot of times they'll describe something. And, and if you're imagining it, you're imagining the worst possible thing. But when they showed what happened, I think part of it might be because we saw stuff that Schoonover didn't know happened. You know, we saw yeah. Frank just wailing on that guy who was already dead and just yeah. punching and punching, just bad. And so it was worse than I was expecting when I realized, oh, this is the mission. Ooh, wow, this is, this is bad. So, yeah. And then the final thing in my notes, anyway, actually, I have two things. One is, oh, who was reading? I think it was uh, Frank was reading Cyborgs and Barbie Dolls, which um, I looked into a little bit. It does not sound like something I'm going to read or want to buy. One of the um, reviews on Amazon was just esoteric and interesting. So there's there's that. But okay, I think it's all about transhumanism and and what's happening as we look into the future of of our bodies and, and that sort of thing. So. But then the other literature that we talked about is the charge of the light brigade and how the whole, um, oh, what's the phrase that comes from the charge of the light brigade? I have it right here. And, and how that is actually, um, they're, they're calling that out or, or they're saying that, but it was based on bad in, Intel. <laughs> like they're, they were, so, they, they should have never gone into that, uh, into that situation. So I, here it is. Um, half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the Valley of Death rode the 600. Forward the Light Brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the Valley of Death rode the 600. Forward the Light Brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew, someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. That's the quote. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. Into the Valley of Death rode the 600. 
Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the six hundred. Flashed all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army while the whole world wondered. Plunged in the battery smoke, right in the right through the line they broke. Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered. They rode back, but not... Not the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them. Cannon behind them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed at at, with shot and shell. White horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death. Back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left the 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honor the charge they made. Honor the light brigade. Noble 600. I I learned that poem, not learned. I studied that poem in high school and, and just kind of d- digging into this and like, what does it mean? What's going on here? And, and realizing, oh, this is, this is awful, but this is exactly what happened to uh, Frank and his, his unit in Kandahar. Cause even if they physically survived, they're all left with scars and they're all, dealing with that situation in different ways. Yeah. yeah. Yep. They, they left a part of themselves in that battle or scenario or however you want to call it. Yeah. Well, you have any other notes to cover? Um, oh, I have one, couple. I have one more, but do yours. Um, there's a scene between castle and Russo. It's a flashback scene. They're in the tent. They're, um, sitting on their or lying on their camp beds talking and on a little table between them there's a chess set Mm. and uh i think there's like a greenish set with a set against a black set um and the greenish side i guess that's supposed to be the so-called white side uh that's on frank's side but uh frank He's an anti-hero for sure. Well, maybe that's why he's not white. You know, I yeah. mean, the, the typical thing is the white hat and the black hats. And so they they take and give him this shaded thing that's not black or white. It's it's a shaded thing. I didn't notice that. I should have. But that's, a, that's more uh, trope storytelling. That's more visual uh, storytelling. To kind of talk about, you know, we've got this back and forth between them. It's a fun back and, and forth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also want to offer a new prize to anyone. If anyone plays chess and is familiar with strategies, if there's a particular name for the way that those pieces were set up, just, you know, write us in, uh, email <laughs> us. <laughs> and then I will give you a no prize. A no prize. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Because I'm not nerdy in that aspect. I'm not very good with chess. <laughs> but I do know that, that certain moves do have names. So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so here's the, my last note. And, and I kind of skipped over it, because, but I do want to come back to it. And that's that I had flashbacks when I was watching this. Flashbacks to another situation where you had to type in a code at a certain time or there'd be an explosion. And that's lost. Like I, I couldn't help but thinking about uh, was yeah. it who was it Desmond who was in the in the hatch? Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. And having to put that code in constantly, make sure that the world didn't die. <laughs> and every once in a while, I think, I want to go back and rewatch that show. And then I realized that was five, it was six seasons, five seasons. It's a lot of episodes. Yeah. And I didn't like it after the second season really well. So. Oh, that's when I fell into it was it, it was cool because I'd watch a second season episode and then they'd have a rerun after that. And so I was able to like I'm watching second season and I'm lost and then I'm watching <laughs> first season episodes uh, that they're giving me, you know, and I'm just, oh, this is great. But, you know, it was a phenomenon show. Like it was one of those shows where everyone, well, not everyone, but lots and lots of people are watching and and really one of the first shows they got to really benefit from social media and podcasting and and all those different kind of fan things that keeps changing and developing. But this was one of those first uh, where it really caught on in the mainstream the, that all that fan stuff was mainstream instead of you know, kind of hidden over in the corner of the internet. Um, I have one more tidbit. It's more of trivia. Okay. It's more of what I call six degrees of MCU. Okay. All right. And you guys know what it is. Um, there's, it's anything to do with any of the actors or crew or production team, anything else that they may have been involved with that is not Marvel related. Um, if it is Marvel related, such as, um, the Venom movie or the X-Men movies or um, uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Those I call MCU adjacent. It's Marvel, but it's not MCU. Um, but um, there's a six degrees of MCU connection that I have found. Um, ben Barnes, who plays Russo, he was in Stardust, which starred... Charlie Cox. Hmm. Ben Barnes plays a younger version of Charlie Cox's father. And that movie also stars Michelle Pfeiffer, who is in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. And it also stars uh, Henry Cavill, who is Superman. (laughs) Who I didn't recognize the first time I watched it. I didn't realize that was him until I saw um, the credits. Yeah, well, and I, I didn't know it was him because he wasn't Superman yet when I saw it. So, oh. same with Charlie Cox. I did. I haven't seen it since I watched Daredevil, and now I don't know if I could watch it <laughs> because because he's Daredevil. Like he's it's so a, Daredevil in my mind. Yeah, it's on Netflix if you want to watch it. What Daredevil? And it's a good I'm kidding. Movie. I know. No, no, Daredevil <laughs> is yes, but Stardust is yeah, also on Netflix yeah. currently. At the time of this recording. All right. So we have one piece of listener feedback. And this is, again, uh, an audio voicemail message from Agent Michael. Agent Michael calling. Punisher Season 1, Episode 3. This one was a bit of a letdown for me. Kind of slow, kind of obvious what was going to be happening 99% 99% of the time, but uh, still pretty good. Still enjoyed it, liked it. Just uh, not up to the standard of the first two. So actually, that was nice to have um, 
kind of a counterpoint to the heaps of praise that we were putting on this episode. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm watching it and it, it didn't feel slow to me. And I think that was because I was engaged with Frank and micro, but it also didn't feel slow to me because I didn't think it was obvious. I didn't, I was not, I, I knew things might move back and forth, back and forth, but I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. So like the pen thing. I love that. That, that caught me by surprise almost as much as it caught Frank by surprise, even though I had noticed the hand picking it up you know, in previous scenes, I never thought, that we were looking at Chekhov's poison pen where poison pen was picked up in the first act and it was used in the, I don't know, second or third act, but poison pen or sleepy time pen. Uh, either one or night, night pen, night, night pen. Yeah. yeah maybe night, night pen. So I was just thinking of sleepy time tea. <laughs> I think it's chamomile tea or, lavender or something <laughs> yeah um well that that leads me to uh to say uh i want to thank everyone for listening and for spending time with us and you know what we're going to talk after the credits with our post-credit se- uh, scene our post-credit scene is going to be talking about some cancellations that just happened that are news but uh yeah, it's funny you bring up the sleepy time tea, Samantha. Um, and I, I don't know any other lead in than other than to say that the quote that I have right now that I'm going to use right now is just a funny one and it has to do with tea. So here we go. You know, I got an idea, man. Why don't you get me some pants? Yeah, I could make us some tea. Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7, or by following us on Twitter, where we are level7pod. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at our clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Godspeed. So actually, typically when we record, I'm drinking tea, but today it's just ice water. So, um, yeah, let's talk about the news then, Samantha, here. Uh, it's official. Punisher and Jessica Jones have been canceled by Netflix. And I just want to say that's not something to worry about and not something to be sad about. And I have two reasons to not be sad about Punisher and Jessica Jones being canceled. Do you want to hear what they are? Oh, I'm tiggering over here. <laughs> but don't tigger too much, but don't Eeyore either. That's that's what I'm saying. Okay. And, and that's just simply that all the stuff that's already on Netflix right now from the Marvel corner 
like all of this Netflix defender stuff is not going anywhere. It's there and it's going to be there and it's going to be there for people to discover and it's going to be there for people to rediscover and it's going to be there for people to you know, watch and analyze or do whatever they want to with it. It's not going anywhere. So that's, that's point one. Why let's not be sad about this. We've got a bunch of seasons of really good television on Netflix out of this deal. And it was really good stuff. Even iron fist is on there, which a lot of people say isn't really good, but it's there and it's fun, you know? And, and so there's, there's point one. So I don't know if you want to add anything to that, uh, Samantha, but that's my point one. Um, also there was a letter to the fans. Ooh, yes. We'll get to that in a moment. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yes, um, it's like, I don't know how many seasons they did mention how many seasons there were. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good television. Yeah. So point two is that, that letter you're talking about. And and that is these characters aren't going away completely. If there is demand for it, there will be a way that they'll find another place to show up. And it might be Disney plus and it might be Hulu or it might be whatever. Um, I, Cause I could see iron fist showing up on Disney plus. Um, I couldn't see Punisher there necessarily from what I understand. We don't know yet exactly, but Disney plus feels like it's going to be a PG 13. Um, at the highest kind of thing, but, um, we'll see more. We'll, we will, and it may not be on Netflix, but they're, they're going to give us more. And the other thing is, um, even if these shows go away from Netflix, they're going to show up somewhere else. So like if Netflix really decides I want to spite Disney, um, it'll show up somewhere else because, you know, there's, there's rights issues and there's, um, you know, rights of refusals. And and when one company says, I don't want this, the other company has the opportunity to, to buy it out and stuff. And this stuff is not going anywhere. We will see Punisher again. We will see Jessica Jones again. Um, And if we don't, it's okay because we got some really good television out of them. And I say that not having watched Jessica Jones final season, Daredevil's final season, Punisher's final season, um, so I don't know how it ends, if it ends on a cliffhanger like Agent Carter did, or if it's going to end, you know, if it ends poorly or or what. But we got some good stuff. And that's my, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. We're, we're good. We're good. We got stuff coming. MCU is not going anywhere. And neither is Netflix. I feel the same way. Um, and I'm kind of tiggering that we will see Vincent D'Onofrio in one of the Spider-Man movies. As um, Wilson Fisk. <laughs> um, and just to I clarify. Talk- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, okay. His, yeah. His name escaped my, my mind for a moment. Um, um, and I was looking up some information and um, seriously, I would love to see him on screen with Tom Holland because Tom Holland is all of five foot eight and Vincent D'Onofrio is um, a lot taller than that. Four, six. Is that what I told you guys earlier today? Four, six. I'm sorry. (laughs) Five, six. I'm closer. Yeah. Yeah. 
six four. I'm sorry, I got my numbers backwards. So Wilson, um, so Vincent D'Onofrio is six four, and Tom Holland is five six. I think is that right? It's five eight. Five eight. So there's an okay. eight inch difference. Plus, um, Vincent D'Onofrio probably weighs about three to four times as much as Tom Holland does. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it's just I'd like to see them on screen together, and I'd like to use that that weight and height difference and show how scary Wilson Fisk is compared to uh, the amazing Spider-Man, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, He's a big guy a big and, guy. you know, give him, give him some big shoes. And uh, I think, look, you're not wrong. It would be really fun. It would it be. I'm not tearing over that though. Um, I, I, I just, it, yeah, I, but I'm also not going to Eeyore you. I'm not going to say anything to Eeyore you. I'm just not going to take her. How's that? Well, yeah, it's just this is just me hoping. Um, but I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities, because if you recall, um, the Netflix characters were on the table to be in Infinity War. So there's a possibility that, that any of those characters can eventually show up in the movies. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's the news. And. Oh, we have not made a Star Trek reference. So Star Trek reference. Hey, you know, the Star Trek reference is this. I, okay. We didn't talk about this. Uh, the new Captain Pike is Anson Mount. And who's oh. Anson Mount? Black Bolt from Inhumans. Yes. And he's fantastic. And I actually went back and rewatched The Cage, the pilot episode of Star Trek that has Captain Pike as the captain of the Enterprise. Anson Mount is doing a really good, not impression necessarily, but he feels like he's the same guy. He feels like he's the same character as this character from The Cage. And he's great when he can talk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, he was – I liked him in Inhumans as well, um, but – but in Discovery, he's he's fantastic. I'm really enjoying watching him in that show. Okay, so he's doing a Captain Pike in the same flavor of the original Captain Pike as, say, Chris Pine did. Not a caricature, but a, like a sort of like an original take on in no, the same flavor. No, it's more that the way Anson Mount does things is very similar to the way Jeffrey Hunter does things. I, I don't feel like it's... Yeah, because um, it's not an exact copy. It, it's not an exact copy, but it's also not quite. It, it doesn't need to be an exact copy because they're similar guys anyway. Okay. Yeah, that's. Whereas Chris Pine, he's he's doing a character. He's not doing a caricature, but he is doing a character. Um, but I don't see Chris Pine doing Chris Pine when he's when he's being Captain Kirk. Yeah. Uh, I do see that Anson Mount just seems to be kind of doing Anson Mount. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I like Christopher Pike in this situation as this character. And he's he he's fun. He's, he, he, he's making Discovery more fun for me. Um, more so than Tilly has been. She's been a little bit getting on my nerves lately. Okay. But well, that's I'm probably the grumpy day. old man looking at millennials and saying, <laughs> off my lawn. Oh, well, hey, another know- grumpy old man. Nice. Grumpy old man on the screen. That's me. Yay. 
Well, you guys do know that I do like the Cage episode over what they eventually aired as the pilot on television on CBS back in 1966. Six? Six, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's definitely a better uh, pilot. It's one of the better episodes, honestly. But what's interesting is that then it gets cut into the menagerie and becomes two of the better episodes as well. (laughs) And that's just a fantastic – that excites me as a writer to have had the – you know, to be able to – they had the opportunity to sit down, take this thing they already made, cut it up, keep the spirit of that thing they already made, but turn it into something else and something that really, because of the casting, that it's not William Shatner as the captain, it deepens the mythology then. And so even as a kid, that was just so cool and fascinating to me to see, oh, that's the captain who was captain before Captain Kirk. And that's really cool. And and then you start hearing the story behind how the episode got made. And it's just, oh, wow, this is so cool. So, yeah, you brought, up, you brought up Star Trek. Said, Good job. <laughs> yeah. And CBS is saying, hey, we didn't waste money on this pilot that did not originally air. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Good all around. All right. Well, thanks, Samantha. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. <laughs>